Screenless. and welcome to another episode of Creative Cuppa with me, Gareth Davis. I'm a composer for TV and an audio producer and that's pretty much all you need to know about me. The real stars of this show are my amazing guests from today's author to fellow composers, photographers, artists, scriptwriters and so much more. I'm so lucky to be in this chair chatting to so many creative souls. We're up to 61 episodes and counting, so I urge you to go back and have a listen. There are some amazing conversations in that back catalogue and something for everyone. To today's guest then, and I was immediately drawn to a Twitter post a little while ago by Lindsay Miller, who had not only lived in North Korea for two years, but had written a book about her experiences. I was so pleased, therefore, when Lindsay accepted my invitation to appear on the podcast to have a chat about her creative experiences. I'll let her tell you all about them. So if you have a cuppa in hand, here we go. Lindsay Miller, author, musical director, award-winning composer and photographer. Welcome to Creative Cuppa. Thanks very much. You're very welcome. Where are you at the moment, Lindsay, actually? I am currently in Taipei, in Taiwan. Right. And what are you doing in Taipei, in Taiwan, if you don't mind me asking? Well, lots of things. I'm I'm primarily here with my husband, who's working here at the moment. And I'm, as you've just said, a person who does many different things. So (laughs) as such, I'm doing many different things and have a few projects on at the moment, actually mostly to do with writing than the music side of things um, following the book which I'm sure we'll we'll chat about. I'll come on to how you balance those roles but today we're focusing on something that I think is truly remarkable. You have a book out called North Korea Like Nowhere Else, Two Years of Living in the World's Most Secretive State and for two years you were one of Pyongyang's small community of resident foreigners experiencing the country without government minders. Which begs the question, what led you to be in North Korea in the first place and how on earth were you granted that level of freedom? So it goes back to 2017. So 2017 is when I when I went to North Korea and it was to accompany my husband on a diplomatic posting at the British embassy that's based there, which is currently closed as many embassies and organisations are at the moment because of COVID. But we went out there in 2017 and we were there for two years And as part of being there and as part of being there as a diplomatic spouse, you live with certain privileges, diplomatic privileges that you wouldn't experience if you were there as a tourist or in any other capacity as a visitor. So just as you say, living there without minders or guides, you know, tourists who visit the country have to be with a minder and guide at all times it's the only way to get in and out to get a visa on a tourist visa you you are subjected to a lot of um scrutiny by local authorities whereas for us it was a very different kind of experience and um that was a big part of the reason why i wanted to write the book from that perspective of what it was like for us there so did you go to north korea intending to write a book about your experiences or was it something that you decided while you were there 
it, I absolutely did not go with the... I, I went with no expectations and no intentions to do anything other than to just experience being there. And while I was there, there were so many things that I noticed and so many ways that I felt about things that I didn't expect from living in that environment that made me feel really confused and um, caused me to question just everything on a real fundamental level. And I ended up taking a lot of photographs while I was there as a way to really kind of explore that creative part of myself in that environment. And photography and writing about the experience really felt like a way to try and understand it more. When a lot of the time I felt like I really didn't understand what was going on. I felt as the days went on, I knew less and less and less about what was the truth of what I was seeing in front of me. And so it was really towards the end of my time there that I had the idea to put a book together. And now, two, three, three years later, I'm pleased to say it exists. Yeah. And it's just been translated into Korean as well, which is really exciting. Oh, wow. That's fantastic. Congratulations. Thank you. You mentioned there about photography and then writing in kind of tandem. Was it that kind of unpacking of what was being thrown at you? Was it the photography first and then you would look at the photos and then write from the photos? Was that your process? They kind of came both at the same time because taking photographs there, while, as I mentioned before, for tourists, you can't just take photos of anything you like. And, and even there with diplomatic privileges you can't just take photos of anything you like either it's always a balance of being sensitive to that person you're taking a photograph of and their wishes and also being creative so there was always a balance but the writing part came about really from instances where I couldn't or didn't feel it was appropriate to take a photograph so in the book I describe 16 anecdotes 16 interactions with North Korean people where it was a really profound and moving experience for me in various ways but it just didn't feel appropriate to photograph that and that's why I decided to write so it was kind of in tandem really of sort of going through all these experiences I'd had and what what could be captured through words and through description and through trying to immerse someone through words rather than in a picture itself so it's I, that, I try to think of it as being an immersive piece where someone can step in to see what it's yeah. like and that's why those two things work simultaneously yeah it's funny isn't it you look at a photo and you can almost make up your own story so it's quite amazing to have the actual story of the photo along with it that's really great so how would you from your experiences there how would you describe north korea kind of culturally and creatively what sorts of differences did you notice with the West, perhaps the rest of the world in that respect? Mm. So it's a good question. And I, I think I think it's kind of split into two for me. I think there are things which are different, you know, culturally anyway. And then there are things which are different in terms of my expectations and maybe other people's expectations based on what we see North Korea portrayed as and North Korean people portrayed as in the media and in propaganda, both North Korean and Western. In terms of expectations, something for me that was a really big thing was that I, as soon as I went there, I expected people to be very cold. And this idea of the kind of us and them mentality, you know, North Korean people are very strict and robotic and everything is is very straight-laced and, and tightened. Uh, that That is what I expected 
it to be like. That's what I expected people to be like. And actually, in reality, it was as simple as saying people are people. You know, people go to work, people drop their kids off at school, people enjoy spending time with each other. I found North Korean people to be very funny, very curious people, very friendly. And there's always the element there of trust and 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 I go into this in the book of how much can you really believe what you're seeing in front of you? How much can you trust a conversation or an interaction to be truthful in some way? But that aside, my preconceptions of the people there were very different to what I was experiencing when I arrived. And then culturally, and separate to that, it's a very musical culture, which I really enjoyed being around. Uh, I was very fortunate to be invited along to quite a few concerts while I was there, classical music concerts, singing competitions, which was really great to be able to visit some music universities, actually, to see students practicing various instruments and things. Um, so it's a very musical culture. They love karaoke and things and things that we love as well, like eating. Eating is a big part of, of the culture there and community. And again, I think we sort of would assume that the community element of North Korean culture might be forced because of the ideals of the state that that's imposed on people, everything, that kind of socialist ideology of everything must be done together. But actually there's a huge part of that community feeling of eating together and being around friends and family and we all go to work together and we spend our leisure time with each other. It's not that cold and dark a concept. It's it's very natural, I think, for human beings to be sociable and to hang around in, in big groups. So I really enjoyed that part of it. There was a photo that you put on social media of um, there was a couple of kids playing on a balcony. And it did strike me at that point that, you know, kids are kids the world over. They don't know what's outside of their own context, their own little world. They were just kids having fun. Oh, completely. And and that's the thing, you know, that people are people. And, and just as you say with kids, you know, you'd see kids playing football, playing basketball, playing chases on rollerblades. And Pyongyang rollerblading was a big thing. I mean, even out in the countryside, you know, kids running around, playing with each other, cycling on bicycles, pretend that who's going to be the dad, who's going to be the mum, you know, all, all these things yeah. that you, you do yourself when you're a kid are exactly the same. But for some reason, we have this disconnect. It's interesting, though, you mentioned things like rollerblading and, and stuff like that and baseball. So th- there are things from the West that have kind of penetrated culturally into North Korea. Oh, yeah, there are lots of things. That's the really interesting thing about the place is, is that um, for somewhere that is so closed off, there is so much of outside influences that have made their way into the country. And that goes from... So, you know, it expands across so many different things from food. There is uh, Starbucks coffee is sold in a coffee shop, for example. It's not an official Starbucks, but it's interesting to know that North Korean people would know what Starbucks is and that it it's yeah. a desirable product. There are other black market goods you can see, you know, fake Rolex watches, maybe some real ones. I, I wouldn't know the difference, um, but you can see them in, in various shops. And yeah, other things like basketball, you would often see kids with Disney school bags with Mickey Minnie Mouse on the back. Peter Pan was shown on state TV once as, as a movie, the Disney version of the movie. So there's quite a lot of, of things that have crept their way in. And I always wondered who was it that left the country to bring back that information 
to make it yeah. known to people that 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 those were desirable things. That's absolutely fascinating. Um, I mentioned at the beginning that you're also a composer, musical director, photographer, and obviously photography has played a big part in your writing. How do you balance those careers? Is it one at a time? Do you find yourself kind of topping and tailing or juggling spinning plates? <laughs> How does it all happen? It's a good question. And I ask myself that question sometimes as well. <laughs> as well. Um, I think for me, it's it's making time for both. I really started writing and, and taking photos. I, I was working at the Royal Shakespeare Company fairly recently. And I, while I was working there, I and the shows I've got up and running, that's when I started doing a lot of the writing for the book and, and selecting photographs and collecting all that information. And it was the first time I'd experienced being in a situation creatively where I wasn't just focusing on music direction, which is pretty much where my head has, has been at for the last 10, you know, 10, 11 years, solely on that. And it was the first time I'd had the experience of being creative in different ways at the same time. And for me, a big part of it was really not putting the expectation on myself that I was going to be able to do in terms of the book while also working on the shows, was not putting the expectation on myself that I would be able to get everything done in the space of a couple of weeks. I think working in theatre, the mindset a lot of the time is that everything's quite quick and there's dead, you know, very set deadlines and you have very certain amounts of time for tech periods, dress rehearsals, etc. And so it's very easy to impose that way of thinking on a different creative outlet and to say, I have to get all of this done by this time and be very strict. But actually really writing and putting the book together taught me a lot about being more flexible and trying to find a balance. And at the end of the day, if it wasn't enjoyable, then stop because I'm not going to be producing. And it's the same in any case. I'm not going to be producing my best work if I'm not connected to the project. So as soon as that connection stopped and I was tired, would have a rest um, and that's that's something I've been able to apply to the music side of things a lot more and it's really changed the way I work now that's that's fantastic yeah I think there's a lesson in that for for everyone whatever creative profession you've got if you're balancing mm. things so what's next you have uh, your book out what's next for you again a very good question so at the moment <laughs> as I mentioned the book's coming out it has just come out in Korean which has been wonderful and uh, I've had so many lovely messages from North and South Korean readers. And hopefully at some point I'll be able to go over to South Korea, travel rules depending. At the moment, I'm taking a lot of, a lot of photographs in Taipei. I'm really enjoying doing that. And I've got some ideas together for um, possibly a book or some at least some articles. This is how and it happens. This is how it happens. Yeah, I mean, again, yeah. like I haven't come here with the expectation of writing or producing anything. It's it's all, for me, it's very much inspired by the environment. And if I see something and feel yeah. I'm drawn to it, then I'll go with it. And so that's yeah. the way I'm kind of feeling here is that I'm, it's a different viewpoint when writing and focusing on different things. But something that connects what I'd like to keep writing about and with other countries I travel to as well is, is really people and that human connection. That's what's always interested me in music as well and in theatre, is human connection and human stories and how we interact with each other and the environments we live in as well and how they can affect us. So that's definitely something I'm going to pull through to the next project. Oh, that's, that's wonderful. So where can listeners find your book and learn more about Lindsay Miller? 
So you can find my book at all good bookshops, either in store or online. And if you're listening internationally, you can also buy from Book Depository, which delivers internationally for free. And you can also, if you are interested in extra pictures or what I'm up to and current photographs and stories of where I am, what I'm doing, uh, I'm on Twitter at lindsaymiller87. And I'm also on Instagram at the Lindsay Miller. So you can check out extra material and, and also things that haven't gone in the book, um, which I post all the time. Ooh, added extras. <laughs> added extras, that's not a phrase, is it? Anyway, <laughs> I'll pop those links in the show notes so listeners can click through to them. Uh, but for now, Lindsay Miller, thank you so much for joining me for a cuppa. Thank you. Thanks so much. Thanks again to Lindsay for her time. Technology, eh? Uh, Lindsay's on the other side of the world in Taipei, in Taiwan, and we were able to connect that easily. It always amazes me what we uh, take for granted nowadays. Okay, sounding like an old person now. Uh, you kids. Anyway, I really like what Lindsay was saying about how people are people, wherever you are. I also really like that Lindsay had no expectations, so the creativity she's experienced is really organic, really natural. She's been led by her surroundings and interpreted that in her own unique way. You can find out all about her book at her website, which is, as she mentioned, lindsaymiller.co.uk, and you'll find links there to buy the book and for everything else Lindsay is up to at the moment. Meanwhile, if you'd like to find out more about this podcast and other screenless content, head to thesoundboutique.com forward slash screenless or search on the social media for at screenless pod. It'll be nice to see you there. That's all for now. So until next time, stay kind, stay creative, and thanks for joining me for a cuppa. Mm-hmm.